This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. Vanessa Bergmark with Red Oak Realty joined Jonathan, Keith, and I, and we had a great conversation about sheltering in place and the practice of real estate, leadership, and changes and innovations that will emerge as we move through and beyond real estate life during a pandemic. As we are all remote now, you will hear at the end where I inadvertently press my mute button. Sorry about that. Hey, we all make new mistakes. Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. We're here with Vanessa Bergmark from Red Oak Realty in the Bay Area in California. Um, Vanessa, thanks for making the time for us. Thanks for having me. So if you don't mind, just tell us a little about who you are, you know, where, where you're based, and a little bit about your market first. Sure, sure. I, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, which which I think kind of matters. It's a, it's a little bit of a different way to to grow up and be raised and then moving to the Bay Area. It's almost the exact opposite, or at least it used to be. But um, so I, I took over Red Oak Realty as owner um, about just over 10 years ago in uh, 2010. Uh, the company was started in 1976 by four gentlemen um, that had been former agents and just kind of to want to go out and do their own thing. So we're still actually, our Berkeley office is still in the same office uh, their first, very first office um, in, in Northern Berkeley, uh, that they moved from their hot tub to their garage and then to the office space that we still have today. And so uh, it's like many Bay Area companies that was founded in a garage. Um, we've expanded. We've expanded since then. We now have um, five offices uh, in two counties, and we serve the Oakland-Berkeley uh, kind of East Bay market. We have about 170 agents um, and again, yeah, five five locations. We did have an acquisition actually earlier this year where we bought another um, another in- local independent. So we've grown quite a bit in the last six months. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like an acquisition followed by a pandemic to keep you on your toes. So I think we're all gonna we're all gonna have some really good stories once we're out of this thing. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so you know. I think we're all familiar with, with shelter in place and shutdowns, unfortunately. But you know, our market, uh, 13 March, I think it was, day to day, we're down about 45 percent uh, from new listings and con- and new contracts. Uh, what is your What has your market seen since then, or since your shutdown? Yeah. So, so our shutdown, which was interesting, we were we were the first. This is what we'll always get with this. We were the first county to uh, shut down on March 16th at midnight, but we were at that time considered non-essential. So not only did we shut down, but we were considered a non-essential business. Two weeks later, we then became essential. So during that two week period, um, which I'm bad with the dates, but I guess it's a 16th to maybe like the 27th or whatever that two weeks later Monday was, we, um, we were down 70%. So Ultimately, what happened was we not only did we we hold all of our uh, listing inventory from going to the market. We had about ninety one. I think we've got one hundred and thirty now. Uh, we we put out a three that week under SIP, under non essential SIP. Um, but we really just plummeted. And I think some of those um, the reasons why we went so low was a lot of existing contracts just freaked out. Um, and it really happened that Thursday when we started to see the, the, the QM, the non-QM loan product get pulled and the FHA and VA. Once that happened, panic set in on what does this mean? Am I buying at the height? Am I buying it worse than the height? Like, do, do I need to get out? So we spent that whole first week, essentially, I was saying we were unraveling all of our transactions. And my day-to-day was trying to figure out the new practices, but trying to get people out of non-contingent offers. Some of them were closing in... Um, 
and they were closing 72 hours later and they were canceling. So that first two weeks was, was kind of mayhem and it was a 70% drop. Now we're tracking it. We track it week over week. And, um, we're actually sharing some of that information with um, Mike Delpreet, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. We've sent, uh, we've been tracking our data for 17 years. So we know every week's data for a 17 year period. And we were able to pull what normally happens and then track it against what happened post SIP. And what we saw is we're now starting to make a little bit of a bump back in the going on three weeks since we've been uh, considered essential. And we're now in the nice, like we're actually on uh, 50%. We're, we're back up to 50% of what we normally should be. That's better than seventy, so I guess it's up. Things are looking up. So, Vanessa, are the are the drops are the drops primarily coming from uh, lack of listing volume, or is it buyers? Or yeah. where where's the kind of where's the unraveling starting now? So, as suspected with the Bay Area, and and we talked about this, um, was one of two things will happen. Right? It will the normal thing would be that there be inventory is going to be available and buyers are going to be freaked out so they won't buy and you're going to see depression on prices. Or we already had a, we went into the year with a 30% lower inventory than we had year over year. So we started at a massive deficit. We were like, okay, this can also mean that there's going to be less, they're going to hold those listings because we saw what our sellers were doing. And, um, And we're going to see an increase in prices because there's going to be more demand at barely any inventory. And that's what's happened. So now we have no inventory. We have multiple offers again. Now it's not on every property. It still matters where it is. It matters how it's priced. It, you know, a lot of things matter, but it is still a competitive seller's market in the Bay Area. Um, and it's it's kind of all out war because there's competition on how do you respect the shelter in place health requirements and access the property and uh, get your offer accepted with very strict terms and then close the escrow. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's heated competition right now. Yeah. I will say within, you know, within Charlottesville, as Jim said, we're down 45% or so since, since March 13, um, from year prior. But what's interesting is over the last 10 days, I think three or four of our markets have reported that number of new contracts exceeds number of new listings for the MLS. Um, that's true. That's true here. It's true of a couple of our North Carolina offices, true of one more of our Virginia offices. And it's just, you're right. There is, there is no inventory, but whatever is coming on is still being snagged, even though yep. there's a pretty deflated buyer pool as well. So now we have this conversation at hand though with our sellers of, okay, do you want to go out in this? Cause going out in this is still very difficult. It takes probably 10x the effort to prep the property with all the technology because we can't do regular prepping and we can't do staging, but then we have to bring in this whole virtual experience. We have to do virtual open homes, super complex, not as much exposure, and the legal requirements to access a house are horrific. So we're left with, do you want to do that? Because soon there might be this flood of inventory to the market. And so you've got these sellers being like this weighted, like, do I take, do I do this very lengthy, intense process to go out now? Or do I hold and take it to the market? But then you're going to be competing with inventory. And then you're going to be competing with potentially higher jobless claims, maybe less loan product. So what is the risk factor of that? And so every every single transaction is like a little newborn baby that you have to like look at and be so specific to every consideration. Um, and I think that's the skill set that you're going to need to have in the next 
12 to 16 to 18 months is incredible negotiation skills, incredible communication skills, and the ability to analyze every facet of that seller's risk analysis and their ability to, to move quickly and negotiate and hit expectations and everything. Like I never put this much energy into every single transaction. And now it's like a new, and I think that's going to be a bit of the wave of potentially what's to come even when it lifts, because it's not going to just be like curtains up back on. To our point of conversation yesterday of these innovations we're seeing now from the, from the virtual showings from the video and all of that, which of these things do you think are going to carry through for whenever we come out of this, whether it's in three months or 18 months? And I think that we're, we're clearly going to innovate some things immediately for cause. But I think that some of these things are going to stay, stay with us you know, for the rest of our respective careers and that it's going to change the practice of the industry. I, I was just having a conversation with this with some top agents um, on the West Coast in Denver and uh, Seattle and um, Tacoma. And I do think, I think two things are going to happen. One is we are going to need, we are, it's the floodgates are not going to open and we're going to suddenly say like, let's go to a concert and a movie. And so what we're doing right now is we're tracking other industries that make their living on large group events and watching what the deciders of those industries are doing. And there was a great article that was out, I think it was yesterday for the New York Times, super grim, but probably accurate about what is happening to shopping malls and retail centers. And they did a whole profile on Macy's and Nordstrom's and um, Neiman Marcus, which was already in trouble in declaring bankruptcy, but they're looking at their habits. And what they have done is they are, they've cut their entire workforce. They are cutting their C-suites and just firing them. And a lot of them are not ordering all of their product for Q4. So I think that's a bit of a canary in the coal mine of like, these are people that are not expecting traditional behaviors in large groups. So how does that affect real estate, right? I mean, if concerts are being canceled and and large groups are taking this and saying, we've got to cut costs instantly because we don't see this coming back anytime soon. Well, what does that mean for us? And I think, I think where we're going to see that behavior is in open houses and broker stores. You are not, no seller is going to say, bring in the general public to walk through my house where I'm going to need to bathe and use the bathroom and sleep and eat with my family. Even if I vacate it, there may be illegal. That That is going to, it's probably going to instantly change. It already has. But I think that per the CDC requirements, we're not going to be able to bring those back anytime soon. So then what we're going to have is, okay, the quickest people to adopt to the new technology, to do those showings, show those houses in their best light, be able to deliberate, you know, deliberately and purposefully package a property, inspections, reports, um, the, 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 the little details that you would get to see walking around, all of that, but they're going to use it through tech and then get the most amount of people to get the highest price for their listings are going to, I think they'll have the, 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 the upper hand here. And I think also, um, what you'll see is at first there's been this, like, we don't know how to get all these Zoom people on on a Sunday open house and it gets hacked and only three people sign up. But once consumers start figuring it out, we just started shooting ours to the portals last week, but they still haven't really figured out through Zillow that you can go to an open house. They will give them another week. You'll probably start to see that the consumers adapt to this new reality. And by the time we get a vaccine or whatever happens and we're allowed to go back into public places, be it three months, six months, eight months, Will we have changed consumer behavior in the meantime? And I think the answer is probably going to be yes. I think it's going to be, why would we go back to having strangers in our house again? That's so stupid, right? Um, 
So I think that part's going to change. And there's going to be a new, you know, the people that can adapt to that technology and the technology, uh, all these tech guys out here right now that offer tech products, I hope they are coming up with some brilliant ideas on what to offer us to make those needs met, that they'll be met. So I think that's going to probably happen. And I think that watching these other industries are telltale signs. So I'm pulling away as much as possible from just reading real estate opinion and looking at other smarter people and other industries that are showing me their decisions and saying, if they made that decision, where do I see that in my own practice? If this person in this industry is getting hurt, where do I need to pivot in my own practice? And, and that's the, that's the kind of the, that's my new norm. Right. Yeah. One thing I'll say is that I've been doing the same thing and we've been reading a lot about what's going on in other industries and just thinking in this one aspect of the sharing economy, right? The sharing economy of cars and and houses and scooters. I mean, that has been one of the industries that's been hit the hardest. I saw that article I read, I think it might've been New York Times in the last week, was that the hardest hit industry of any across the country was was scooter sharing yeah. um, and, and scooters. And then that's number one. And then Airbnb and Uber have been hit hard. And this concept that we started to think was going to become normal of um, open door and things like that, where you would just punch a code in and go into a house without a real estate agent, maybe all of a sudden, like on a dime, that concept is is flipped and, and people aren't going to want that to happen. Now, granted, that's not quite apples to apples, but I agree with you that changes are coming and, and you know, people just getting into houses at the you know, picking up the phone and, or sending a text and saying, let me in your house is something that's probably not going to gonna be as easy to do as it was five years ago. No, I, I think it's going to become a high trust. I mean, we're looking at who we're allowing near us right now because of risk to my squad and my people, like in my family. Um, and, and it's going to be who you know, who you trust, because it's not only just a like, well, they're staying in my house, but are they staying in my house with something that could kill me? And it's not, the disease will pass, but the but the fear philosophy might stay for a little while. So I almost think that the you know top agents or, or, or top professionals or companies or whatnot have an opportunity to provide practices that are gonna show transparency and create trust. And then they they stay relevant because of that. Right, because they're they're actually saying, I know that this has now become a new need, and I'm f- providing a resource for you to know that you have a higher level of trust, whether it be legal, um, uh, the the background of who is accessing your property, what offers they're coming in with. I think they're going to want to see a more qualified interaction in business, and I think that might be a new norm. You know, I, I don't know. I, it's all we don't know, but you could see the little psychological things and say how how do you how do you, as a business owner in customer service, so, Vanessa, meet that need? And and I think that no, I'll let me just say this one thing that that even though we don't know to what scale it is, I think we'll all agree that the real estate transaction becomes more expensive. So whether that's more expensive with time, or whether that's more expensive with, you know, now I need to buy a box of gloves, like latex gloves for the house. Yeah, that's probably on the low scale, but on the high scale, it becomes more expensive because there's so much more time and it could shift. Who knows? I mean, in some markets this happens, but real, the listing agent's got to be there for every showing. And that listing agent is going to be the one that opens the doors and opens the cabinets and opens the back door and 
turns the lights off and things like that. So I think we're all looking at a situation that becomes more expensive, A, because we need to think more and prep more, but B, it's going to take a little, probably a little bit more time and maybe more money with videographers and virtual tours and floor plans and things like that. Like you're saying, pre-packaging up that listing to kind of prep it and ready to get out, get it out there. So Jonathan, let me, let me though point it the other direction. While you're saying it's going to be more expensive, if I've got virtual tours, Matterport tours, if I've got floor plans, if I have all of these methods of viewing remotely, it also makes this far less expensive. It means that your buyer from Colorado doesn't need to travel to Charlottesville or to the Bay Area to look at a house. They can make informed decisions walking the street. You know, we, we already send our buyers to Google to do, you know, walk down the streets before they ever come to Charlottesville or to, you know, let them know what a neighborhood feels like. And I think there is going to be a part of this that says we've got more information, we're providing a better service to buyers, and they're going to be able to make a more rapid decision without spending the time and money in location. Maybe expensive isn't the right word. It's going to take more resources from the listing agent. Yeah, absolutely. To, to, to get it ready and to get it to the – this is very transactional, and I don't mean it this way, but to get it to the finish line. Right? Yep. And so that's, that's, I think, what we're learning. We don't know to what scale that's going to be. Yeah. I think you both bring up great points, though. It's, 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 it will be very expensive in certain parts, and it'll be time, less time, probably for the consumer. Like, we're looking at broker stores, and there were close to 200 people on a virtual broker tour um, on this past Monday through our association. Now, if I wish I could have done a before and after because broker stores would be like crazy realtors parking in the streets, the neighbors yelling at them because they were all piled on top of each other to run into a house for five minutes, polluting the air, like all those things, all the chaos it took and time and trying to get from place to place to place and not seeing it all. And this brought out like an incredible efficiency. And it probably, the agents were saying they saw more houses on the virtual tour and they were able to refine a product for their client faster than they ever would have been if they had to go around in their car. So there will be less expense on time, but I do believe as, as I prepare, like as we talk about this from a company perspective, I'm looking out there and going, okay, if this does become a new norm, who do I need to staff? Who do I need to train? What is going to be the skill set of my agents, their ability to communicate, our brand's ability to communicate, uh, the whole back end of our marketing department, like the skill set that they can use. Because we're not even going to be making, we're not going to be talking about flyers anymore that are going to be left at properties. They become irrelevant. But what will be relevant for digital, um, how to get all the digital listings out. I had hired by sheer luck in January, a really good old friend of mine that I worked with 20 years ago in the travel industry, who was an incredibly talented, talented uh, cinematographer and videographer. And I said, I got this epiphany on Christmas Eve looking at this book. I won't go into the story, but it was, I said, I called him up and I was like, I, th I think I want you to work with me. And I think there's some cool stuff we could do with video because his videos are not, they're not videos. They're, they're works of art. And by sheer luck, he said yes. And he started working with me in January and he has become overnight outside of my sales manager, my most important asset as an organization. Period. Now, will that change? Maybe. But he has been able to, with the knowledge he showed up with, and, 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 and 
$55,000 worth of camera gear that I didn't have to buy because he showed up with it. He's got a room set up. He is banging this stuff out and his skill set's here. And he was able to just pivot and get us in there. And some of the video we're putting out, I'll send you guys one, is one of them was just incredible. And then we've integrated that with Box Brownie and virtual staging and voiceovers. And, and now we're trying to figure out which platforms we put it out on. That part of it, is going to become like, what? who are your next key players? Just like all of a sudden doctors and nurses were like level of importance. Uh, I mean, we've always known they're important, but like you talk about that skill set, um, this skill set is what's going to be needed in that next reality. And then the people to train the masses, what it's like to get 170 agents trained on a completely different model, um, that's huge. And then the ability of the skill set they've showed up with, the ones that can negotiate. I did this call last night with one of my top agents around this strategy. And I'll tell you, what we ended up coming up with was nuts. It was like we were in a war room. It could have been on like West Wing. And this morning she found out that she had all this competition and the strategy we came up with worked and she got her offer accepted. And it's those moments when you're like, that stuff is just going to go right to the top in this this next market. And if we're not there, if we're not there, well, we got to get there really fast. So tell me the, the brainstorming. Right? We, we were talking yesterday about sort of how how you brainstorm the future of your company and how you slotted out your time to allow your allow your brain to work, if you will. Tell me a little bit. Go back to, to that and how you've yeah. restructured your days to be more productive and more creative. I think um, – I am, I'm a naturally, I've never been like a, a crazy, like naturally organized person, but in growing my career, I've, I've, I've learned that, um, discipline is, is key. And someone long time ago, this woman, Bev Steiner, who I worked under said, there is freedom in the discipline. So the more disciplined you are, the more, the more you actually get with your, with your free time, because you've, you've done what you needed to do in a slotted amount of time. And one of the first things I saw myself, my, my own personal experience, but I saw it in my kids. And I saw it in my friends. I would get a lot of texts all day and they were just like, and it was like mayhem. No one that no one knew what time it was, what day it was. You know, you had a cocktail at two. Like someone compared it to Vegas in one of those memes. Like, we don't know what day it is. We don't know what time it is. And I'm bleeding money. And that was, and what I saw was like how things just break down without structure. And then I saw myself falling into that. Like when I'd eat dinner, one night we were having dinner with my kids at 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, Oh, you know, this, I don't know if this is so good. And I just talked to my dad last night and he was like, I, I can't, I need a routine. And I think the thing is you do need a routine. So about, I think it was week three, cause we're going into week six now, right? About week three, I started being like, okay, enough, enough. No more, no more of that tiger King, no more of like bad stuff going in your brain at night. You know, this thing, this thing isn't just three weeks of fun. This thing's going on. And you're, there is wasted energy right now on what I'm not doing purposely. So we started really, I just started really restructuring my day, making sure that I was like up at a certain time, showered by a certain time, walked the dog by a certain time. Everyone was back on eating on a schedule, stopping at a schedule and not going into, I was working till 10 o'clock at night. It was not healthy. Um, and then what I did was during those times of work, I um, I would time block them into today's projects, right? The things that I need to do for the deals that are going on today and my agent's needs right now. But I've got to start time blocking. I, I time blocked even a little bit of time for fear and panic because if I didn't actually address them in a nice little block of time where I gave into all of the fear, then I found it like 
saturating in, in my day. It started dripping in at like two o'clock and then again at 10 o'clock. So I was like, you know what? If I'm going to have fear thoughts, I'm going to do them for one time blocked hour and I'm just going to let it rip. And then I'm going to park it and I'm going to switch my brain. And so what I've done now is have this one big time. It's a long answer to this, but is to get down and think about the reorganization of the entire company. And I'm talking every office space, the way the rooms are laid out, the way we do each facet of our marketing, how all of our legal is done, the way we process a transaction, the way we teach our uh, agents, the way we communicate with our agents, every last drop of that, what, and then what we're going to be reading and who we should be following. And so I've spent now about three to four hours a day, just absolutely brainstorming. So we took a couple of articles just um, recently that we read that were kind of like, ooh, articles. And I sent them out to the company. And I said, if anyone wants to get on a brainstorm call where we just grab a cocktail and just come up with anything, let's just start to do this. And my COO and I are doing it. We're time blocking with each other because he's really good. I'm always like, coming up with ideas and whiteboarding and the yellow, I should, I should show you my room right now. There's yellow pads of paper all over the floor. Um, He's the one that just takes all of that and makes it happen, right? He he puts together spreadsheets and Gantt charts and takes everything and makes it into these little checks. And then we address it piece by piece. And like, I could barely log on to Hive and he, you know, has the whole thing going. So we're doing, we're doing that. And I think that, that first of all, what it's done from week three to week five is it's actually getting me inspired again. And I think that the mental response to it is, it's just, I'm like, oh my God, I just, I've been in this business for 17 years and you know, there's times I've been so cranky with it, but I'm like really right now, super excited about what we can build. And I don't have to get a new career or start a new company. I've got all of this energy to put right back into this one that I've been with for a very long time and reinvigorate it. And the only way to get there was by putting these, this structure in place because you can't just innovate and be like, everyone, you take care of all the stuff going on here. I have to deal with the stuff that is bringing in revenue, keeping my agents engaged. That is very important, um, equally as important. But this innovation timeframe is equally as important. And so we've really got to be doing both at, at whatever level you can, but both have to be a very weighted consideration. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough balancing act. It's like you got to... You know, I, I agree with you. The first couple of weeks, that we, you, you used the word earlier, were, were mayhem, and we just kind of felt like we were. Every time we peeked around a corner, there was this new situation. It's like, oh, we haven't thought of that, and we just had to kind of be predicting what was going to happen the next day. Mm-hmm. And then over the past few weeks, you know, I'd say you're right. Like the last three or four weeks, it's been more of all right. We've we've kind of navigated those waters, and now we're focused on the long term plan. And we feel the same way. We feel like the, there's this is an exciting time where there's going to be changes. Um, and it's, it's nerve wracking too, because we don't know what those changes are. Um, and so, but it is, it is inspiring to be able to sit back and just think, you know, how, how's the world, what's the real estate world going to look like in six months or two years from now? And how can we position ourselves to be in the right, you know, right spot to, so that our agents are providing their clients with the best service and the best experience. We actually had a call this morning with um, a, a training this morning. And, you know, in this time, you hear a, a lot of analogies and great analogies. But one of the analogies that the uh, that the trainer had 
was she was using surfing as an analogy. And she said, like, you've got to start paddling on the surfboard before you see the wave coming. And you just kind of have to know and kind of get out ahead of it. And I thought that was a great analogy. And it sounds like you know, you've kind of taken that that concept to heart over the last couple of weeks. So kudos to you. Yeah. I, you know, and I, and I, I wouldn't say I, I what happened was we we were paying attention to the news just quickly. And and I, I couldn't tell, like many people, if I was overreacting or if this was really going to get that bad. And then one day I was finally like, I, I'd watched this Bill Ackman piece and, and it, it was really treacherous. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I'm overreacting. I think I'm going to go run with the fact that I'm going to prepare for the worst here. So about two weeks, I got we got everything together and we got ready to pull the trigger. And then we pulled the trigger on Friday the 13th. <laughs> Funny. Um, and then uh, on Monday, I... We were going into shelter in place that first night. I was still working from home. My staff was already over working from home. And I realized like we're about to go into something brand new. And as soon as I heard we were sheltering in place, I'm like, we are gonna have, we're gonna have conflict and mayhem from all of these transactions that we're currently in. So we pulled all of our lists, we got all of our transactions out there, and we're like, all right, reach out to these agents, like figure out what's at, what what's gonna need triage instantly. But then I thought, more so than that we've got all these other brokerages that are in the exact same place. So I sent out an email and said, Hey, um, we got this new dawn upon us and I don't know about you. Um, but I think that we're going to have a lot of conflict and I think that there's going to be a lot of unknowns. And if we could just get together as a group and figure out a way to collaborate through this, we are going to bring down the fear and the angst not only of our agents, but more importantly, of our clientele. So if anyone's interested, let's just let's just set up a meeting and uh, we'll do a Zoom meeting. And here's the login. You don't even need to RSVP. It's going to be Thursday. I'll see you there if you want to come. And um, and they all showed up. They all showed up. I mean, in these, we were saying this is, these were people that, you know, we were, one of my, one of my agents, one of my dear agents who I loved had just left three days before to go join one of these people's companies. But it was, it wasn't about, you know, a competition or, you know, let's build relationships in case this thing falls apart so that we could create new. No, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with we are going to face this new thing and we are in such better shape if we are not at war with each other and we are collaborating. There is not a single thing that does, you know, worse collaborating, right? There's no example of that in the world where if you get together and you use your brains and your skill sets, I mean, you could look at Survivor, and that they knew very quickly to form alliances to get to the end, right? Like so, so I thought that. And and when you'd asked me the other day, like what what when did you start like planning that? And it, it and the interesting part was the day I became an agent, seventeen years ago, going on eighteen. I was always amazed at how competitive and kind of nasty an industry it was for one that needed to actually work with the other person closer than any other industry that I know of. Like where is it that you side by side? with your biggest competitor, maybe your arch nemesis, have to go through a very intense transaction for a very high dollar amount. There's not many industries that are like hanging out together day by day in order to get revenue for both in, for both competitors. So I always thought it was a little bit weird. And I've always had this thing, and Jonathan, I think you'll know, and being in the industry for a while, is I've always been sort of an open book, very transparent, and very much into building a network and sharing whatever resources I have. So... I kind of was always waiting for this day. I was always waiting for a day that we wouldn't be at war with each other and we would just get on the same page. So the moment I saw that little 
glimmer of opportunity, I just, I just, I put out the ask. And, um, and it was amazing because you know what? So many, so many people want that too. They just maybe, I don't know, maybe don't want the rejection of like, I don't want to talk to you. I, I don't think, I don't know. There was no risk at that moment. I'm like, I don't even need an RSVP. If no one shows up, I guess I'll be on that Zoom call alone, but I'm still going to ask. And um, the great part is it's now happening every Monday at four o'clock and we're still in it now. It's going into six. I think this is our seventh or eighth call now. And it, I just actually got on a call with somebody else today or, or there was a little bit of conflict. And I was like, hey, want to come to our Zoom call next week? I forgot to call. And he's like, yes, I'm in. Another big broker. So, and I think, I, I think the thing is on the other side of this, whenever we get out of our lockdowns and we go through this, wouldn't it be so wonderful um, if we can collaborate more as an industry? Because the client experience would be so much better and we would probably have such a better reputation if we were able to not bring that drama that we think makes us look like a good agent, but only creates conflict and fear for our clients. But we actually brought this harmonious working together in comp like even complex situations and made it a positive consumer experience. And I'd love to see that happen with the industry on the side, on the other side of this. Um, so, so maybe, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. And any, anyone that asks, I will, I will always give because I have been given a huge amount, um, from so many people within this industry that have shared with me so generously that I'm a huge believer of pay it forward. Even if it's your competitor, pay it forward. So love your passion. We've had the same conversation about, you know, how does this industry work better together? And, And most of our markets admittedly that we're in are kind of smaller towns. Um, and I think sometimes, and this is probably a little bit of a stereotype, the smaller towns tend to, you know, be a little more amicable maybe than some of the, some of the bigger cities because we're, you know, we, we run into the same agents over and over again, but we are in some larger, larger spots, not quite as large as the Bay area where, um, things seem to be, uh, maybe a little more tense, um, and not as amicable. So, um, but I wanted to I wanted to kind of wrap with one question. So you talked earlier about your days and how you're spending your time each day. And clearly, the days in recent weeks are a lot different than the days, you know, in 2019 and early 2020. But as you kind of work through your days right now, what's the one detail that you're sweating? What's the one detail that you're really kind of ultra focused on on a daily basis? I think it's communication. I think if it's anything is I um my own skill set, my teachers would disagree with me, but my own skill set growing up was my ability to communicate um between different languages almost, you know, whether it was different social groups or different age groups, or there was always, um, this ability to really kind of communicate authentically and from my heart. And, but a lot of that was really done. It was done in person, kind of belly to belly. And, um, and I think, you know, my one thing that I've got to figure out and that I've got to teach is how can we communicate now through words and video, um, which we may not in ways that we may not ever get to communicate as easily face to face again. Like, I don't know, Jonathan, the next time I'm going to see you in real life, you know, but I got to meet you and know you. I remember one night hanging out in, uh, in, in Palm Springs and it, it's Palm those Springs. personal, yeah, or Palm Springs night. It's those personal interactions that are these, you know, foundations for really, really great communication. So, 
I think now it's, I'm relearning the art of how to communicate on platforms like this and through audio and, um, and, and, and just communicate my, my own, my own story and my own brand story. And I think I've got to, I've got to admittedly go back to the table and learn and get comfortable in new platforms so that, so that my message and um, my agent's message and my business message gets out to our community. And I think it's going to, it's going to take a new, new way to do that. Same authenticity as it did in real life, but, but there's a new way to do it. And I think the interesting part is there may be a better way to do it and a bigger reach than anything I ever really experienced before. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of embracing that challenge. Thank you. Thank you guys for the invite. I really appreciate it. It's nice to, to meet you all virtually. Thanks. Thanks for all the time. Yeah. You too guys. Good luck. Stay safe. Thank you again, everyone, for listening and sharing our podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have a question or feedback or a guest suggestion, please email us or record a voice memo on your phone and send to us at sweatthedetails at nestrealty.com. Thanks for listening.